Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 56, Act 2, James C. Horton, Arm Yourself with Hope, recorded August 8, 2022. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply To people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided All divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA audience. Welcome to Teaching Irishy Podcast. This podcast is research recorded and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for listening and thanks for being a part of our global community. Hey, hey, y'all. We have surpassed 30,000 listens. Thanks so much for choosing this indie podcast. We absolutely love and appreciate you. Help us get to 40,000 listens by inviting your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We can also be heard on any podcast player. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and head over to teachingrsg.org to access episodes, guest bios, our video series, merch, and so much more. Many consider fall or autumn to be a time of new beginnings, reframing mindsets, goal setting, etc. I don't know if that, sometimes it's a cultural thing, a religious thing, maybe because school starts around that time, the autumn equinox, etc. Just a time. So in my world, fall is about laying the groundwork for the season with onboarding school partners and teaching ours training, um, you know, amongst a host of other things. But this year, for the first time, we have been able to um, run a, a host or a segment of our trainings in person and work together as a full group in our spaces uh after two and a half years and that has been nothing short of glorious truly glorious i mean the joy the energy the covid protocols uh the community building the connection and the creative their creativity just bursting at the seams i can't it's just it's been really 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 lovely um but it's also been a little draining so yeah, historically, what for me historically has fed me, I am in the the process of, you know, rebuilding or yeah, social, I'm calling it social muscle building practice. <laughs> um, and I think we're going to figure out the sort of balance. We have some strategies as to like when something should be in person versus when it doesn't need to be in person. So we can try and still remain as flexible as possible in terms of how of hybrid work structures. And, um, you know, while it's all new, you know, it's important to be mindful of this strategy and check in periodically to see how it's working. Um, yeah, I am curious though, like for, for you, like, what about you? How are you dealing both personally and professionally with transitioning 
working more often in person? Is that happening in your world? Um, goal setting, just how do we, how do we keep moving forward, I guess? And, um, being emergent, I think it's the right, you know, you sort of plan, but also being able to be emergent is important. Um, September in the States also marks a time for the ramp up for midterm elections for U.S. Congress. Um, and then there's also state and local elections, all sorts of things. Um, so yeah, every two years, this is where we go. Sometimes, you know, the, every four years we have the big one where everybody's focused on, on the national fo- uh, world, but um, yeah, every two years we got these big old elections and then on your local level, I think it's like every year. Um, so lots of issues are on the ballot. Um, there's, there's always a lot of issues that are on the ballot. Um, but I'm going to just uplift most notably in my opinion is body autonomy for all women women identifying humans, trans people, and a host of others. And um, I believe in voting rights for all. And in America, I really encourage you to use your polling power to be engaged in who represents you. In past years, I've yelled at people about voting. I'm trying to get better at not uh, yelling. <laughs> but I think it is empower, It is important to feel empowered to use your votes. So if you're not registered, registered. If you're not sure where your polling site is, check it out. Um, there are websites, there are places to tell you, and you can check your register that, that you are in fact registered because, you know, in this country, there are those who are happy to get rid of your your registration or your name. So check it all up on that. Uh, all right, so I'm gonna awkwardly transition <laughs> to our guest. Uh, so in the conclusion of our conversation, James and I discuss more of his career, uh, the work of uh, the ci- the Museum of the City of New York, which is where he was working when we had this conversation and it's new initiatives or some initiatives that are, are going on there that sound really exciting. And we also get into an intriguing discussion about reframing and pushing against oppressive systems like the incarceration system. Here is episode 56, act two, James C. Horton, arm yourself with hope. In terms of your chronology, yeah. uh, where we left off is you worked at Harlem. What did you call it? HZ? HCZ, Harlem Children's Zone. Uh, for 11 years, and you were a program director when you left. So where did you go next? The National Guild for Community Arts Education, where we met. That's good. Um, yeah, so I, so I went to the Guild next. And what was your role there? Um, so I started off as, what was I? I think just a program director. Um and then there are a few transitions and my role became director of learning and leadership development. Cool. And how long did you work there for? I was there for five years. Five um, years. Yeah. And I absolutely, I have loved every job that I've had, um, but, but loved it. And, and, you know, an opportunity presented itself that I, I could not pass up and, and found myself at Carnegie Hall. Um, as director of social impact programs and uh, learned a tremendous amount there. Um, fascinating work, fascinating work. Um, spent a lot of time working with incarcerated individuals, mm. young people and adults in prisons in New York State. Um, and that opened up my mind and heart to a whole new world of healing. And, and you know, I know the art was a place to process trauma uh, processing trauma in those environments in the way that it was through music and and visual art even um was fascinating mm-hmm. uh working at carnegie um and then I, another opportunity presented itself um at the height of the pandemic when we are all at home and thinking deeply about what is it that i really want to do 
uh, what is the impact I want to have in the world? Um, and I was like, the Museum of the City of New York, uh, a recruiter reached out to me and um, it's like, whoa, okay, that's interesting. Um, and one thing led to another and boom, um, here I am now. And um, I, you know, I go to work every morning at 8.30. I'm there, I ride my bike to work. It's, it's 30 blocks. I got an electric bike for me. You should see me, I don't put my little helmet. <laughs> Like yo, dudes straight up look like a bear in the circus. Um, but but I love it. I love my little bike. Um, and so you know, I'm I'm at work eight thirty in the morning, and I don't leave till ten o'clock at night sometimes if we have a program. Oof. But I feel like I haven't worked one minute, you know, because I love my. I, I ain't never love a job as much as I love this. Oh, um, it's so much fun. It's fascinating. Um, it's interesting. Um. It is challenging. It is reward. It is it is all the things. And this particular gig allows me to draw from every single thing I've done, um, and put it all in the one. So yeah, a lot of fun. Can you just let us know what is the what is the mission of what is it, the city of the city? So it's the, the museum, museum of the city, of, the city of, New of New York. Yeah, I've been there a time or two. And anytime I go, I always feel like, uh, one, like the building is so interesting. Two, yeah. the exhibits are so informative and so interesting. Yeah. Um, tell us about tell us about it all. It's Stop really cool. So so MC and Y, I'm going to paraphrase the mission statement, but um, we exist to provide people the opportunity and tools to interpret the past, uh, to help inform the present, so that they can shape the future. Um, and we do that through New York City history. And one of the things that I think is remarkable about the Museum of the City of New York um, is that the exhibitions are living. You know, you, you will go to, and this is not to knock other museums, but you go to other history museums and yes, we learn about things that have happened in the past, but we lean into what happened in the past so that we can think about, okay, how does this work today? But then how does this inform our future? Um, so, you know, on the ground floor of the museum, we have a permanent gallery called New York at its core, which is literally um, New York City from its birth to 2012. Uh, we have to update it because it opened in 2012 and it's like, yo, it's 2022 yeah. now. Yeah. So, so what are we going to do? Um, and then we have Activist New York, which is a permanent gallery that looks at activism in New York City history, all sorts of activist movements. And then the other three galleries, they really rotate. Um, you know, there's rotating exhibitions, four galleries, excuse me. Um, they're, they're rotating exhibitions. Um, we have an amazing team of curators and fellows who put on shows, um, but it's such relevant and amazing content. This summer through community-based initiatives, we have um, a program um, that we started called REACH, uh, Research, Education, Arts, Community, and History. Um, and we're working with a group of about um, almost 100 young people through SYEP and providing them opportunities to engage with gallery content, but doing it through the lens of media arts, film and photography, uh, visual arts, and performing arts. And it's been a really, this is the last week of the program. Um, SYEP? Summer Youth Employment Program, sorry. So kids are, um, kids are paid to summer jobs, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're paid to do really, I think, you know, it's not a traditional summer job. It's skills building. And, and I think, you know, some, some social emotional learning that's happening and some real critical lessons that are being taught as well as skills, you know, that, that are being taught to young people engaging in this space and in this way. And so you oversee all of, all of this? Yeah. So my purview is public programs which is the extension of what happens in our galleries. So programming that relates directly to our galleries, New York City history, themes, topics, current events. So all those things. Uh, we have the Schwartz Education Center, which works primarily with educators, um, adult educators, teachers, and also students in K through 12 settings through field trips, via virtual or in real life. Uh, we provide PD opportunities for teachers, um, in that space as well. And then something newly created is community-based initiatives and social impact work. 
So thinking about what it means to be the museum of the city of New York and show up in the in the city of New York uh, mm -hmm. beyond the walls and supporting our community and telling stories um, and doing it with the community, sort of this idea of by, with, and for, so that it's not just us who sit on Fifth Avenue on 104th Street telling the stories of New Yorkers, but we invite New Yorkers in and go out to New Yorkers and say, what is your story? What is the history that you want to tell? Uh, so being able to program in concert with young people and adults. So there's the uh, New York Historical Society. Do you, do you all ever do anything with them? Um, every now and then. Um, New York Historical is, is very different than we are. We think of ourselves as a little bit more contemporary uh, and, and taking on a little bit more contemporary issues. Um, New York Historical is absolutely amazing um, and is deeply rooted in New York City history. And I think in a more traditional way of presenting and sharing that history uh, and inviting people into conversation around it. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, I, I think they're phenomenal, uh, just different than we are, cool. which which is necessary. Yeah, I mean, that that goes back to the Avengers, right? Like, That's what, yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right. And so what's what's a social impact um, uh, initiative that you've, you've yeah, done so, in your time that you've been you're really proud of? So this reach program, the summer program is one of our, our um, one of our social impact initiatives and um, community based initiatives and making sure that young people can come to us and, and do work and engage with our galleries and literally take over the museum. Um, you know, they have developed their own social media channels at Reach MCNY um, on Instagram, in which they're sharing some of their work uh, and talking about their experiences. Um, but it's, you know, it's a fascinating space to be able to do that. Uh, we also serve on the community board, um, Community Board 11, which is our local community board. Uh, we Part of our mission is also to make sure that we you know, we know who we are as a space that is Fifth Avenue facing. Um, so one of the things that we've thought about, how do we invite community partners into space? Um, how do we sort of make this building open and available um, so that we are not sort of high on the hill, but we are right there with the people. So we've done a whole host of community-based events that are by the community, for the community, um, you know, at, at, at free, uh, we don't charge them anything. Um, we're just so, sort of happy to have them in space and make them feel welcome and change the narrative of what a city museum is and can be. Um, you know, as we continue to program, we're looking at being in carceral environments, working with people behind bars, uh, working with the Department of Probation, uh, working in the, in the homeless shelters, um, of course, continuing to work in schools, but really thinking about everybody has history everybody and everybody's story is worth being told so how can we get out there and support these stories being told support people uh in their research efforts and provide them a platform to share and tell their stories i love this i'm i'm already like trying to slice in like how do i how do i find a way to work with you uh, <laughs> um that makes sense um can we go back for a moment to something that you said when you were talking a little bit about uh, working with incarcerated or court-involved youth and yeah. adults and the idea of, you know, we are all going through something and, and um, living with trauma. And I'm just curious from um, any experience from anywhere that you've worked um, and maybe culminating in where you're working now, just like how, what are some practices trauma-informed practices what are some learnings around healing and healing uh healing centered engagement that you either are interested in or are already incorporating into some of the work that you're doing or questions you have yeah um you know i one of my big questions is sustainability you know it's, it's interesting when people are incarcerated or system involved in any system you get so much support. And when you come home, it's like, all right, go. It's like, wait a minute. Um, I still need a little help. I've been away for 20 years, you know, 
um, and there's help there, but it's not the same type of help and support. So I wonder how we can continue to engage with returning citizens in a way that is more substantive and not just check-in base. Um, because there's a different level of support that is needed. Uh, and I think about that in the creative community, uh, sort of some, some financial support as well as um, mental support, mental health support. Um, one of the things I'm really curious about is how art therapy can continue to show up in a very real way in carceral environments and places where young people and adults are, are dealing with challenges. Um, and I've seen it done here and there um, with some grants, but nothing that has been sustainable um, and nothing that is sort of, um, uh, do I dare say, mandated by, by the state, if you will, in, in these facilities. Um, and I'm also really curious around what alternatives, um, ATIs, alternatives to incarceration uh, can be for young people and adults. Um, so, you know, I think it's one thing to have a restorative justice circle but what are the real alternatives to incarceration um, that we can have for people who break the law? Uh, and I'm not talking about people who like go over the deep end and breaking the law. Uh, I'm talking about things that like, you don't need to do no time over that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and be real with ourselves around, well, you're gonna serve six months at the Museum of the City of New York. What's that mean? You know, I think that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and being able to work that way. And, um, and, and I think one of the powers, uh, one of the great powers of this work in carceral environments is being able to recast and reshape the narrative of who's incarcerated. Um, you know, when I first went into Sing Sing Correctional Facility working with Carnegie Hall, I felt like I was looking in the mirror. Everybody was big, bald, and black. Um, I was like, oh, that's my uncle, that's my daddy, that's my brother, that's my best friend, like everybody. And I was just like, wow. Um, and then I saw these brothers pick up violins and guitars and trumpets and trombones and, and triangles and pick up microphones and start singing and playing. I was like, wait a minute. And then I'm having conversations with them. I'm like, well, wait, huh? This is who's behind bars. And if they had been given these opportunities before they made the mistakes that they made, this, things may have been very different. And so access is critical. Um, you know, we do so much to work with people once this system involved. If we were to get them on the front end, they wouldn't be system involved. So how do we create more opportunities to do that especially in communities of color and, uh, and low-income financially challenged communities. Uh, I'm not going to get this right, but I heard somebody uh, talking recently about how um, the, you know, the school-to-prison pipeline is lined through school and um, the fact that there are police in school and if there are you know, things that in a different school environment um, might be just something that goes in your file and ends up actually going yeah. into a like a, a file that so by the time so if something happens where you are actually breaking the law outside of school you already have a record which is part of the reason why you end up going so quickly into the system because they yeah. they've got like stacked from other from from school itself and so um so I'm, I'm pointing that one thing out and then uh, um earlier or in the right now the Office of Arts and Special Projects um, are working on uh, or held a series of like town halls on a strategic plan that was developed before the pandemic. And now they're they're trying to um, get feedback on it from the field and then ultimately present this to the mayor and the chancellor. And in some of those town hall conversations, like all I kept thinking was like, you can't like, yes, yes, we should be talking about the arts. Yes, of course. But like, it's all interconnected. Like if we don't have um, a counterpart in, you know, in the the HUD or in um, other like agencies within the government, like whatever we are doing is, is not going to make the deep social impact that we want it to. 
Um, and so as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, the front end, yes, but that we have to be thinking about yet yeah, all the different pieces. We have a, a piece of that, but there's a big circle, right? And it's got different wedges and we can have one wedge, but there's all these other wedges for each young person that needs to be addressed that in certain communities, they have that through other, other, uh, resources and in, 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 you know, I would, I would like to have more of that conversation. Cause I don't, I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, <laughs> but I know somebody knows what this, what, what one of these wedges need to be and the other wedge yeah. needs to be. And if we were all working in conjunction, you know, I could bring my expertise again. It could be like, we are the Avengers. Like, let's do this. I got the art piece or I got a piece of the art piece and who's got, you know, the food piece, who's got the, you know, academic piece, who's got the, you know, you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. And it's interesting. So, so that is the Harlem children's zone model mm. is a holistic approach to community development. Like you can't work with the kids during after school. So, you know what, we need to build a school so we can work with the kids throughout the school day and have after school you know what, we can't just work with the kids. We got to figure out how to work with the parents too, because they have to go home to a different type of environment. So how do we work with the parents? Mm -hmm. So you add on that later. How do we work with the block and provide job opportunities? So, you know, when I worked at the Harlem Children's Zone, 70% of the employees came from Harlem, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then they started to address issues around food insecurity and, and diabetes, high blood pressure, you know, all those things that plague communities of color. Um, and so they brought in a healthy living initiative. Uh, and then thinking about the mental health aspect. Um, and there's been such a focus on mental health recently, you know, and how do we talk about mental health? How do we not perpetuate um, the disease of violence and, and poverty and sickness and misogyny um, in our culture, in our music, in our, in our writing? Um, and so they brought in that aspect. So you know, through Obama's initiative, the Promised Neighborhoods, that was the first holistic approach to community and social change. I think that we've ever seen that actually work with Jeffrey Canada, um, the, the then president and CEO, I think he's still the president. And I know he's still very actively involved with HCZ. Um, he was able to quantify that. He put numbers next to it. He told the story, he had the narrative, but he also had the data to support it. And what a $1,000 gift would go to, I'm using small numbers, these are not HCZ numbers, um, but what a $1,000 gift would go to exactly. And being able to just to tell that story was sort of a no brainer. It's like, you know, it costs $250,000, $350,000 to incarcerate a young person. It costs $50,000 to incarcerate a young person to, um, to teach a young person and get them a teacher. It's a no brainer. You know, it's a no brainer of where you're going to invest and where you should invest. Um, and when you put it in front of people who say they want to change the world, who say they're about social change, if you're about social change, pony up, put your resources here, because I'll show you exactly where every dime will be spent down to the exact dollar amount. Um, and so seeing that social experiment of Harlem Children's Zone, of the Harlem Children's Zone, uh, that is the first time I have ever seen someone, a group of people take on this huge daunting system and say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to do it all. And they did it and they're doing it. Um, and they got the receipts to show it, show for. It. So where, where, where do we go from here? What do we do? What are we doing? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you know I, I, and I also think, you know, not everywhere is set up like Harlem. It's almost a perfect set of conditions to take on the issue here. Um, deep partnerships. I know Bro Sis Soul, Brotherhood Sister Soul um, up here is also doing amazing work, working with young people. Kari Lazar White um, is just phenomenal in all that he's done. Um, Impact Theater has done some outstanding work. These groups have taken on all of the things. Uh, you know, the door has taken on all of the things in working with young people because they found that 
if I don't do a warm handoff when I send you over here to get social services, it ain't gonna happen. Cause you already, uh, you're 15 years old and you got trauma and you're forced to navigate this world solo in some cases, a lot of adults can't process trauma and, and navigate. You know, we do because we need to do, but, you know, as a young person, being able to create a one-stop shop and, a, and sort of a, a portfolio of services in one place that is going to always be there for you and that has the resources to support you, um, that is the way you create systemic change and change communities. Uh, and it ain't cheap. It's not. It's not cheap at all. And it's not something that we will probably see the absolute effects in our lifetime. But just like, you know, those who came before us, we stand on those shoulders. So our job is to build a foundation that our kids' kids can continue to build on. And maybe one day we will actually see all of the fruits of our labor and we will have rebuilt this country and maybe even the rest of the world um, in the likeness of the majority that serves those who are not in the minority. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, the planet is full of black and brown people. And how can we unite and, and sort of, you know, get the odds back on our side to, to actually just be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had this conversation in a couple of different ways around um, liberation and systemic change. Yeah. And the fact that our the global, generally, the global majority's mode of operation is not through violence. Yeah. In, in a community, you know, setting, whether it's on a global level or a local level, um, and that the the power hoarding is, you know, through some some various spectrums of of violence, and so that what you're talking about is flipping the script you know, I, I find I find it personally very challenging to try and figure out how to do that in a way that um, mirrors some of those like cultural philosophies and can actually like shift the power dynamic in a way that isn't actually going to hoard, but dissipate and yeah. yeah spread <laughs> I guess yeah. yeah and so that's something that I think you're talking about like I have this question here about like how you know those of us who are part of the global majority but we have many privileges how do we utilize or leverage our power to shift some of those dynamics yeah um, sometimes it's very on the hyper local level within our own programming within our own you know organizations that we're, we're working for um, and you've named quite a few, um, and sometimes it's 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 larger, right? And that, as you said this earlier about like deep partnerships, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about. I'm gonna take it out of the institutional piece for a second and just think yeah. about like how where where are you finding your community, or your yeah your people, to support and uplift you and you as you are doing your work from an institutional perspective. Does that make sense? So they're not necessarily, they don't have to be the same people who you yeah. have yeah, partnership, uh, institutional partnerships with, but just, yeah, like who, who and you don't have to name them. I'm just saying like who, who's feeding and uplifting you so that you are ultimately doing the same for young people or other people in, your, in the communities that you're working with. You know, I got, I'm, I'm, the people who are uplifting me are the four little ones who I report to. Mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm eternally energized by them. Um, I'm eternally energized by young people I see on the block, by my friends' kids. Um, they lift me up. You know, it's 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 real simple. Um, my community lifts me up. You lift me up, Courtney. You know, um, real connections with real people. Um, that is the fuel. Uh, for social change, you know what I mean. It ain't, it ain't complicated. That's the thing that always blows my mind. Like you know, we 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 get together, we talk about these things sometimes, and we 
you know, system change to create the system is complicated and they create it so that it is complicated so that you can't figure it out in this manner. That is by design. I know that we have to change this and let's not bang our heads against the wall trying to get out of this maze. We can work in tandem and create our own thing over here. And so that's what I'm really interested in is, yeah, I can work over there on that side, but I want to create our own thing over here, independent of all of the, 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 the systems and the, the oppressive forces um, and how can we build that to support our community, to support our planet, and ultimately, you know, and, and become Wakanda, a completely self-sufficient entity that you are then like, how, how, how y'all do that? Like, what, what is happening over here? And, um, and I have been fortunate enough to see somebody actually do that. And, and, and Jeff, Jeffrey Cannon, I can't say enough about him. He's been able to do that with, with great support and help from others. This is not a one-man show by any means. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also been somebody who put a bold, crazy vision out there. Listen, I'm tired of waiting for DOE to change. I'm tired of waiting for the community to put a grocery store here. I'm tired of waiting for mental health experts to come over here. No one is coming to save us. No one. No one is going to save you. No one. And once you really get that into your head and it's like, I'm gonna work with a team of individuals who are just as passionate as me, who know how to do it. And we're gonna do this and we can work over here, but we gotta work over here too. Cause over here will use us up, you know? Get you out. Yeah, and over here will use us up too, but it's a different type of use. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think as people of color working in predominantly white institutions, working against systemic oppression and systemic change, these systems are designed to use us and to bleed us dry and spit us out because we're exhausted. And we're like, man, I done tried, I can't do it. I, I, I done tried. And there's some folks who, who have, and God bless them. And then there's some folks who try until they just literally, literally, they can't try anymore because they have nothing left to give and, 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 and they are gone, you know? So how do we do both, uh, you know? is happenstance that, that some things have happened for some groups and, and being strategic in doing so and recognizing that the hammer does not always pound the nail. Sometimes it has to pull the nail out. Um, I have seen people be sort of the smash and grab um, approach to, to sort of social justice and social change. And I have found that does not always work. Uh, when we can be strategic and really think a hundred moves ahead of how we will allow ourselves to be used and use others um, in achieving a more equitable uh, world. Uh, it's it's a different it's a different way of being, a very different way of being. Uh, I'm gonna start winding us down. That's okay. that's my cue. That's your cue. Um, is there a topic that we have not? talked about that you'd like to talk about and or what would you like to ask me um i don't think there's anything that we haven't talked about we talked a little bit about interplanetary conflict before we oh, that's started. true do you want to should we talk about that <laughs> <laughs> um i think one of the things i'm really curious about is when i think about you know we we have seen the overturn of roe versus wade um we have seen the way that these systems continue to try to exploit women, um, exploit black women. Um, and so I wonder um, for where you sit as a woman of color, um, Courtney, how do you keep going? What feeds you? Same question that you asked me, you know, what, cause you know, as, as a black man, we, we, we got, we got things that we're working through and processing. Um, but I feel like the black woman um, has been forced to be a different type of strong um, 
And I just like, how, how are my sisters being fed? What can I do to support black women in these spaces? Um, so what feeds you? Um, happy to answer that. I, I will start by saying what I observe and, and what I feel. Um, so what I have always thought and have, have like used as a hashtag, which is not it, but it's what I believe is that black women tell the truth. The challenge is that nobody wants to hear the truth, <laughs> not in this particular society. But I think, you know, if you, the, the biggest thing that anyone can do is believe black women mm -hmm. who do care incredibly deeply they are, I think, as a as a whole, are natural caretakers and nurturers, and that could be of people and of you know systems and of space, um, and of structures. Um, and when something is is amiss, they they're gonna say it. Um, whether it's heard, whether it's believed, that's where I think the challenge comes, and that's sort of what you were talking about earlier about I give and I give and I can't anymore. Like I think that's that's a lot of what I've I have heard from black women specifically um because I think because there's just the, the constant like hope I think that there's a lot of hope in black women that things will change and when they you know they continue to get um uh up against you know gaslighting and other sort of obstacles that's what is exhausting what I've I've noticed in the last couple of years is one, I feel like black women are much more vocal about that exhaustion than they mm -hmm. have been in the past. They're also fighting against the trope, the black strong black woman trope, the angry black woman trope. They're calling that out and being like, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, I call BS. And then um, the idea of rest is, is very, very, very prominent in, in the conversation. And I think, you know, we, our models, our models have been, I, I, I referred to this earlier making kind of a joke, but I was serious actually about the grind culture. And I feel like the model that we had, that we had was watching our mothers, our grandmothers, our aunts working themselves to death for, for, for not a lot of, of, you know, like the rate of return was not quite high. Yeah, yeah. Um, in other in other industries, in life, in you know, raising families, in all sorts of of, of manner, and in a in a much less liberated world than we currently live in, and we still have a lot to go farther to go. So I think we're also trying to fight against that. Um, I'll and now I'll talk from the eye. Um, so if I take my mom. As an example, this is a this is a woman who married late in life. What was late in life for her, for her at the time? Um, so in her late twenties, and had worked all of her life, put herself through college, and then quickly like was and then was working a little bit, but then had a, you know started a family and became a, a stay at home mom and was very unhappy. Um, so it was a one, you know, one income home and, uh, and she struggled with her identity. I don't know the detail, but I, I can tell you that she, she, I'm not sharing anything that she didn't share with me. Yeah, yeah. She struggled with that identity. But what I saw was by the time I was going to kindergarten, my sister who was older was going to fifth grade. My mom was going back to school, so I became that kid who like had their own key at six years yeah. old, right, and was coming home by themselves and whatever. And um, but what I saw and what the model was was, as a woman, you work. Mm. And then she decided she was able to go to grad school, and she changed her career, and she started to actually have a career, and that was my model. It's like, oh, you have a career, okay, and now. I watched her really I, like wrap her whole identity around herself as, as a person who works first and then is a mom and a wife second. And for me, as a kid, I was like, you're my mom, that's it, I don't know. But as a woman looking back on that, it's like, 
I also realized that I did a lot. I've done a lot of that. Like my identity is very much wrapped up in my work life in the industry that I work in. That said, I also really like leisure. I like to play sports. I like to go, you know, see shows. I like to hang out in the park and ride and do. And so for, so that's one thing. And, and I think as I've gotten older and then very specifically in this time frame, but like even before this, I, um, before, sorry, before the pandemic, I was working really hard to be more, to center myself more. I would talk a big game about mm. how, you know, I was gonna, you know, make healthier food choices and um, exercise more. And, you know, um, and what I was noticing was that I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't actually doing that. I was talking a big game, but I wasn't actually resting and and centering myself and so during the pandemic uh i i definitely felt like you're all you're you're all you know you live alone Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you've got who nobody nobody's gonna save you but you like it's you are your own ceo of your life what is it that you what kind of life do you want to have not only what kind of life do you want to have but what kind of what kind of like longevity do you want to have and if you really want longevity you've you've got to make some changes um and really find a way to not just love yourself but really own the fact that you can love yourself and own the fact that that can look a lot of different ways and you don't have to worry about what it looks like from the outside in it has to come from inside you and what makes you feel like you are at your most healthy, mentally, physically, financially, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that mind shift, you know, again, going from the model of like, I'm just going to work myself ragged and keep going, even though I'm tired, but that's that's my identity. That's what it is. Yeah. And I'm not saying that she, you know, she wasn't, you know, not able to enjoy herself at any time, but like, I just saw her not stop. Even when she was sick, she got sick, and she, ultimately she was like forced to retire because her body was starting to fall apart mm-hmm. and she was upset like that really took a toll on her mentally because she didn't necessarily have other pieces like a built out further yeah yeah way of of finding purpose beyond work i don't want that yeah i don't want that so how does that manifest? So for me, it is, it's a, it's a multi multi layered one is making sure that I'm as, um, uh, open to my community, my family, those people who, my family, my friends, my colleagues Mm -hmm. who I find are feeding me with positive energy and hopefully vice versa. And, um, cutting out people who, that's not that positivity, that flow, that synergy is no longer there. Swimming and exercising, traveling, um, literally sleeping, literally. Very good. Yeah. Um, in June, I went to visit some friends and um, they're retired and we would go to bed every night at like 10 o'clock. And I was like, this is a life that I want. I, I like this. And then we woke up at like eight or nine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? This is Beautiful glorious. Day. Yeah. yeah. And we still had like very, very like um, packed itineraries. Yeah. And it was like, oh, it's. And I was falling asleep on the couch at nine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm in bed by 1030. Yeah. Yeah. and just loving it and I was like I need to remember this and like pack this into my real life <laughs> so yeah so that so there's that and then I think the other thing is like not working overtime or five I I'm not gonna say I'm great at that part yet mm. but I've gotten a lot better a lot better but like really like leaving work at work um and doing my best to do so in a way that you know as an executive, as you might know, yeah, that's that's not always possible. Indeed, um, because you know work doesn't end at six necessarily. Um, 
never does. It never I, I, I really do my best and I'm trying to, you know, for uh broadcast that, make sure that people know like I don't I don't do that. Yeah. On Monday. Very good. Very yeah. good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for asking. And thank you this for this. For me. Oh yeah, no, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just saying thank you for the opportunity. Oh my, yes, I, you know, I, I, I keep saying what I, what I like about this project is it feels, it feels very much like um, when I start, when I embarked on this, I had a list of like, here are all the people I want to talk to. And what's nice is because we, <laughs> we produce uh, or publish every, every month, like that list is long. Yeah, so yeah, I have many people that I'm gonna I I'm going to reach out to at some point, and you have right. always you've very for a long time been on the list, but it's like it feels like it's time. Thank you, I appreciate. Okay. Um, this was this was a joy. I, I appreciate uh, reaching into those memories and those moments. Um, so thank you. Absolutely, this has been my utter pleasure. Yeah, back um, at. Yeah, and I can't wait um, for us to actually send you a slingshot. So we got to meet for drinks, and I got to yes. give you a slingshot. I would, I would love. And you, you're gonna be like, what? what? Yeah. yeah, I would love one. Okay, James, you are just one right. of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Back at you, Courtney. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 56, Act Two of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, James C. Horton. Arm yourself with hope. Join us next time for a conversation with Miko Lee. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. Jono Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry, the gram at teaching artistry with CJB. And now on YouTube, check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook. Listen with... Listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now.